Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, good morning, and let me add my welcome uh, to Horizon West Church. It's great to have you on a somewhat cold morning. Not too cold, though, right? Thanks for being here. Uh, I love what Jenna had to share, um, in part because it's so authentic to who she is and her husband David um, and the ministry they're doing here. But the other part is that it, it so well articulates uh, the, 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 the vision God's given us at Horizon West Church, where we desire to be a diverse community of good friends who are together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus with the world. And so whatever your next step is, and and it could be any number of things. You heard Carmen talk about baptism. And some of you may be newer to the faith and you've not been baptized. You go, you know, I was was sprinkled or baptized when I was little, but, you know, I don't really remember it or I wasn't a Christian yet. Uh, We believe that baptism is for those who have professed the name of Christ. And so that may be your next step. Or it may be groups or it may be serving. uh, But we want to see people moving and, and, and going in the direction that God has for them to go. Well, last week uh, was what I believe will be a banner weekend, uh, a milestone moment for us as a church when we introduce what we're calling the Gospel Conversations Wall. I mean, I'm going to talk about that for just a minute uh, because as we talk about sharing the gospel, and, and the idea is that we've got a thousand thumbtacks, quite a few less now, but a thousand thumbtacks that represent spiritual conversations or gospel conversations that we will be having throughout the course of the week and over the course of the year with lost people. And last week we got to see more than 50 people get up and come to that board and pull a thumbtack off representing gospel conversations they've had just in the last few weeks. And so every Sunday we want to encourage you as you're going throughout your week looking for those opportunities and praying for those opportunities when you get them to come on Sunday and pull a thumbtack off, drop it in the bucket, and that represents one more conversation you've been able to have to point someone to Jesus. Well, I got to tell you, at the end of Sunday, I was on kind of a high, but I also physically, uh, you know, it's just, there's kind of a crash on Sunday afternoons, right? Um, it's a lot of, you know, doing, and, and I'm, I'm extroverted enough that I get a lot of energy from this, and then I go home and, and, you know, and so if you text or call me between two and five on a Sunday, and I don't return the call for three hours, you know why. I am asleep. I sleep on Sunday afternoons, that's what I do, I recharge. Well, this past Sunday, we got home later than we normally do, and we kind of missed that window of, you know, where you can get a nap without staying up till midnight. And my kids wanted to go outside and ride bikes. So I guess, I'm like, I guess we're doing this. And so we go outside and our neighbor across the street, he and his family have been there for seven years, just like we have. Um, and we've built a friendship with them. We've gone to the birthday parties and this and that. And they know that I'm a pastor, but we've just never really had that spiritual conversation. We, we've invited them to things the church is doing or this or that, but, but never really broken through that. And as I'm praying and I'm leaning in and I'm now looking and being more intentional, man, are there conversations that I can have with lost people? Our neighbor Leo crosses the street. And I think he's going to say, hey, can my kids play with your kids? That's kind of the routine. That's what we do. And, but he's walking alone and I meet him halfway and I'm like, hey, Leo, what's up, man? And he says, hey, I just, he goes, I'm a, I know you're a respected member of the community and, and, and my wife and I are struggling and, and we need marriage help. I said, man, well, I, I, I'd love to direct you. There's a counseling center at our John Young campus, First Orlando, and we're one church, two campuses, so I can refer you there. I've got friends there. We'd love to step in and help with that. 
But in that moment, I was like, man, what a cool opportunity. But I also knew that's not yet a spiritual conversation. It's, hey, I, I can give you a resource. I can point you somewhere else. And I just sensed as we were talking about these issues, and, and, and I just asked, I said, hey, Leo, um, I'm going to do that, and I'm going I'm to follow up with you on Monday, but can I also just pray with you right now? He said, man, I'd love that. And so we bowed our heads in the cul-de-sac, and for the first time in seven years, I got to pray with my neighbor. And I tell you that story to say, I wasn't even looking. I'm not the one that crossed the street, but God is on the move. God is already doing the work. He cares more than we do. And if he will find partners in us, he's already doing the work. He will lead them to us. We just need to be ready. That's why, again, 1 Peter 3.15, I think I butchered it when I tried to say it last week. But Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you for the reason, for the hope that you have. And do it with gentleness and with respect. In other words, as we let our light so shine before men, as we live out the gospel imperative of sowing into the lives of other people and pointing them to Jesus, people are going to go, man, what's different about you? And they'll come to us. And so I just wanted to share that. I, I at the 930 service, got to pull one of those thumbtacks off and say, that represents Leo and the chance to pray with my neighbor. Before I transition, Ian e. Bounds, a, a giant of the faith from past centuries, said this, around us is a world lost in sin. Above us is a God willing and able to save. It is ours to build the bridge that links heaven and earth, and prayer is the mighty instrument that does the work. So before we go running out the doors and go, we're going to change the world for Jesus, let us not forget to invite the Lord of the harvest to do the work through us. Prayer is so necessary. That quote I actually kept on a 3 by 5 index card for a couple of years when I was in my late teens, early 20s. It was all frayed around the edges, but I memorized it, committed it to memory, and I wanted to be that intentional. And I'm praying that God would just revive that in me again and revive that in us again to pray and to see God do a work in and through us. Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to build on a premise that I have, and this is the premise. The gospel is not only an invitation to relationship with God, what I would call the vertical but it is also invitation to a new kind of relationship with people or the horizontal. In fact, the move of God among first century Christians left in its wake not only converted worshipers of God, but also hundreds and thousands of relational communities where people who were unlike each other learned to like each other and over time grow to love each other as God had loved them. And that was a disruptive force in the world. And so what I want to do today is establish four reasons why it's imperative that you are in relational community with other Christians. And I'm going to do this by basically doing a 30-minute flyover of the Bible, okay? So buckle your seatbelt, strap in. It might go 33 minutes. I'm just going to put it out there. Don't hold me to the 30. But we're going to do this as quickly as we can. But imperative that you're in relational community. Here's the first reason. Because God is a relational community within himself. Now that's a phrase that needs explanation. <laughs> what, what do you mean God is a relational community within himself? Well, what are you talking about? Well, the Old Testament, the first probably three quarters of your Bible, is primarily establishing a, a particular fact about the nature of God. And it's that God is one. See, in, in, in that generation, in those days, the, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, was surrounded by communities and nations and cultures that all believed the same thing about God. 
And that was that God is many. A term in theology that we call polytheism, many gods. And they had the God of the sun, and they had the God of fire, and they had the God of death and life, and all the gods. And Israel was unique as a monotheistic religion. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 was the anthem of the Israelites. They memorized it. They actually would write it down and wear it on different parts of their body. They taught it to their children. At least twice a day they recited these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. And God was establishing this unique fact that he was one, not like the gods of the other nations. In fact, monotheism was and is the bedrock of Jewish faith and the defining mark of its religion. Jesus disrupted Jewish sensibilities by claiming equality with God. In fact, the Jews had a word for what this was, for somebody to claim equality with God. You know what they called it? They called it blasphemy. That, that a man would say things that indicate that he is on an equal status or a, of the same substance as God himself. And don't let somebody tell you that Jesus didn't do that. I'm going to show you that he did make that very claim. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is teaching in a situation not too dissimilar than this, other than that there were a lot more people because Jesus was more popular than I am. And the, that it was in a house, and the house is packed, and people are stuck outside, and these four guys have a really good friend who's paralyzed. Not, not like probably from a recent accident, probably born that way. And they can't get in, and so they tear a hole in the roof, and they lower the man down. Talk about disruptive. And Jesus takes the opportunity not only to heal the man, but to teach something about who he is. He says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. And the, the religious leaders are like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You're not God. Well, they don't say it. They just think it. But Jesus is God, so he knows, right? He says, why do you say in your hearts, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then he says, but to show you that I have the authority on earth to do this. In other words, to show you that I am equal with God, he turns to the paralyzed man and says, son, get up your mat and walk. And the guy jumps to his feet and goes. And the people go, man, only God can do that. Yes, and only God can forgive sins. Do you see what Jesus is doing? I, I am God. <laughs> not just a good teacher, not just a great rabbi, but claiming equality with God. And if that's not explicit enough, in John chapter 10, verse 30, we have the words of Jesus where he says, I and the Father are one. One. So now we're, we're mixing some concepts. Remember, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And then in John 14 through 16, Jesus introduces the concept of one that he calls the Holy Spirit. You go, man, so now we're getting different elements. Well, the, the early church and the early church fathers established this doctrine based on the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament that God is what they would call a trinity or a triune God, meaning that he is one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, my, my three-year-old and six-year-old were arguing about this concept earlier in the week. And I promise you, I wasn't talking to them about it. I don't want you to think that's like, Pastor Chris goes home and tries to teach his kids the Trinity. Like, no, they're probably not ready for that. But they're arguing. Dad, Jonas said Jesus is God, but Jesus is God's son. I'm like, time out. We'll talk about that when you're a little older, right? Like, that's a really tough concept. But here's the thing. Christianity is not a religion that some people concocted and went, man, wouldn't it be cool if we said that God was one and three? Like, nobody would do that, right? 
Christianity is revelation. Our faith has been revealed to us, and it was revealed in the New Testament that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can give you so many examples that I don't have time to do that. But I will say this. Our purpose this morning is less about establishing the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm more interested in the implications of the Trinity as it relates to relational community. Here's what I want you to to hear this morning. In eternity past, God was enjoying a vibrant relational community of equals as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit within himself. (sighs) Right? Like, whoa! Man, before there was the first molecule, before there was the first tree, or the first atom, or the first atom, do you see what I did there? There was... There was God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoying relational community. Some theologians have called it the divine dance, that this one being was was enjoying community within itself. And, And then God says, let us, you see that there, let us make man in our image, and he creates a man. And and with the man, he's got animals and zebras and elephants and squirrels and eagles. And all of a sudden, God, after in Genesis 1, saying over and over and over and over again, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And Genesis 2 says, it is not good for man to be alone. You know what God is saying? God is recognizing that as a triune God, he is, for eternity past, enjoyed relational community within himself. And now there's zebras and elephants and squirrels and eagles, and they're enjoying relationship with like beings And here's Adam in between. Not high enough to be God, not low enough to be an animal. He's just unique among God's creation, unique in the universe. And God says, that's not good. And so he creates what the Bible calls a helper fit for him or suitable for him, i.e., he makes Adam an equal partner, a woman named Eve. This is part of the reason that we believe as Christians that marriage between one man and one woman is the ultimate expression of relational community. That that when God wanted to kind of create the capstone, what does the ultimate relationship look like? Well, certainly mother-son. Man, I've seen my my little boy and his mama. It's like, no, that's that's up there, right? Father-daughter, siblings. I got six siblings. We're super... No, God said one relationship is best going to represent relational community. One man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. But I need to go a step further than that. Because I think the principle that God is establishing when he says it's not good for man to be alone, I think the principle covers all people, not just those who are married. For some of you, this this is something you need to hear this morning. It's not good for single people to be alone. God desires that all people enjoy emotional and spiritual intimacy with other people, only physical intimacy is reserved for the marriage union. Do you understand that? It does not mean that single people shouldn't experience affection and conversation and companionship and warmth. And and, and sometimes as a church, I think we've been so big on, you know, marriage, 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 and single people are going, well, what about me? Single people need a big bear hug when they get to church. Or maybe a handshake. Ask them which they prefer. Single people need to go on vacation with your family. Single people need to be invited to the dinner table at Thanksgiving. It's not good for people to be alone. And I just have this passion in my heart and this desire. And maybe it's the fact that I was married in my late 20s. Some of you go, man, you were a kid. That's not old. I was married much later. Or I'm, I'm single and older. But, but I remember 
the feeling of singleness and going, man, I, this is where God has me, but do I have to miss out on everything? And I just have this desire that we would cultivate the kind of church where single people have so many of their needs met that they're not resorting to these sexual encounters, these one-night stands, these things where it's like, well, I'm not getting intimacy anywhere else, so I got, no, 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 we want to be affectionate with them, we want to be loving and, and have great conversations and warmth, and we want them to experience what God intended for them to experience. All right, I'm going to get off that soapbox now. God, as a relational community within himself, desired to create billions of human beings who would enjoy relational community with him and with each other. God, as a relational community within himself. Here's the second reason that it's imperative that you're in relational community. God established the first or former covenant through a relational community. If you've got a Bible, go with me to Genesis chapter 12. I want to show you how this works. And this is interesting to me. I hope it is to you as well. But we know in Genesis 1 through 11, some, some things happen. First, there's, there's sin, and, and then Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, and then they have children. Their sons kill each other, and it's madness. And then the flood in Genesis chapter 6, and God repurposes humanity through the line of Noah and his family. And then the nation starts spreading out, and there's different languages, and now they're covering the world, and God's going, man, I need a plan. Now, it's not like he concocted it in that moment, right? He's God. He's always known, but, but God needs it, so he creates a plan to redeem mankind. And this is what he does. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what it says. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, when God wanted to begin the redemptive plan, he went out and made a friend. I mean, that's what James calls him. James chapter 2.23 says that Abraham was called a friend of God. Are you kidding me? Now this, this triune God who's a relational community within himself has stepped into mankind and reached out to a man named Abraham and said, Abraham, you're going to be a friend of God. And they spoke as friends and companions. And now it was clear who was God and who was man, but they had a friendship. The first or former covenant began through relational community. And not just God and Abraham. But as the nation of Israel began to be established and, and to grow, the law was given. And the law was all about relational community. In fact, the Ten Commandments, did you know the first four of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God? Don't make idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't have other gods. Don't break the Sabbath. But did you know that the last six, meaning more than 50% of the Ten Commandments, deal with how I relate with other people? Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. These kind of things. So, so even in the law, even in the Ten Commandments, the, the importance of the horizontal is emphasized. And God also implemented seven feasts that the nation of Israel was to observe every year. And these were feasts where, yes, they would worship God, but they'd also sit elbow to elbow around a table and feast and eat and drink and dance and sing and enjoy relational community with each other. But there was a problem. God knew that the nation of Israel and every people group on the earth would never experience relational community as he intended as long as their relationship with him was broken. And here's the third reason you need relational community. 
Because not only did God establish the first covenant through relational community, but he also established the second covenant, or what we know as the covenant of grace through relational community. Think about it. Jesus is born into what? A family. I mean, from day one, Jesus has a mother and a father, and then he has siblings that are born after him. He grows up in a place called Nazareth, a small town where people know him. In fact, they would say things like, isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? They knew who he was. He was in relational community with people. And then Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry at age 30, he formed the first ever life group with 12 guys he called disciples. And he was in relational community with them. Not only that, but he had friends called Lazarus and Mary and Martha and and Mary Magdalene and others that he was in relational community with. He modeled that for us. And then on his last night, he's having dinner with the disciples in the upper room and he demonstrates for them what relational community looks like. He gets down on his hands and knees, he washes their feet. And then he serves them the bread and the cup. I'm just going to assume he washed his hands in between, but that's the order of things, right? So washes the feet, serves the bread and the cup. He says, when you do this, when you have fellowship with each other, remember me, do it in remembrance of me. So he demonstrates that, and then he commands relational community. Go to John chapter 13 if you've got a Bible. We'll have it on the screens as well. John 13, these are some of the last uh, words, or at least the last teaching that Jesus is gonna be able to give to the disciples. This is what he says, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I'm going to make a statement that may be a little bit controversial, but just stick with me for a second. If monotheism was the hallmark of Jewish faith, the hallmark of the Christian faith is to be love. Now, it doesn't mean we're somehow less monotheistic, although we're accused of that. It doesn't mean that we downplay the importance of theology. It's massively important. But we build on that, and Jesus says the defining mark is actually going to be the way that you treat each other. There has not been a religion in the history of the world that has done a better job of establishing the importance of horizontal relationships. That's why the New Testament is filled with love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, be patient with one another. On and on and on. The, the Christian community, the first century community, was to be about the vertical, yes, but also about relational community with one another. And remember how James called Abram a friend of God and the first covenant was established through him? Well, isn't it interesting that in that same teaching in the upper room, Jesus says to the disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you what? Friends. Go, oh, Wow. So see, a lot of us have been taught that the the ultimate uh, example of relationship with God, like the ultimate representation of that is that we're his servants. We serve. We say, yes, sir, no, sir. We serve God. And I would say you've been taught wrong. The ultimate expression of relationship with God is friendship. Because friendship doesn't downplay the importance of serving. Look, if I work for somebody, I'm going to do what they tell me to do and nothing else. If they call me at three in the morning, that call's going to voicemail, right? I'm there to work, I'm an employee, or you might say a servant of that person. But if it's my wife, if it's my brothers, if it's my close friends, that call at three in the morning, I pick it up. You know why? Because I'm a friend. See, a servant will serve and nothing else. A friend will both serve and love. Jesus said, I don't just want your service. Yes, I want it, but I want your friendship. 
I want relationship. I want the catalyst behind what you do to be love, not empty traditions and legalism. Friendship over serving. And so he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Notice he doesn't say, if you obey my commandments, you love me. He says, if you love me, if you're my friend, this will naturally follow. And see, the early church understood and applied the dual nature of Jesus' teaching as they devoted themselves to both loving God vertically and extending relational community to one another horizontally. Acts chapter 42, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. We'll have it on the screens. I want to read for you what happened when Christians married honor of God and worship of the one true God and relational community. And I'm going to volley back and forth. I'm going to throw the words horizontal and vertical. They're not in the text, but, but you'll understand what I'm doing. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this, And they, the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, vertical, and to the fellowship, horizontal, to the breaking of bread, horizontal, and the prayers, vertical. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, horizontal. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, horizontal. And day by day, attending the temple, vertical, together, horizontal, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, horizontal. Praising God, vertical, and having favor with all the people, horizontal. Back and forth, one and the other, both and this was not a community that said we'll be defined by how religiously devout we are. This was a people who were defined by the way they loved one another, just like Jesus said. You know what the result was? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thumbtacks were flying off the walls. People were going under the waters of baptism. Dozens here, hundreds there, thousands here, and they covered the world as they married, honoring God and loving one another. And, and here's what you need to hear this morning. Maybe not all of you, but somebody needs to hear it. If you pray and read scripture every day, and you've got your favorite book of the Bible memorized, and you fast once a week, and you're intentional about having gospel conversations with lost people, and you're not in a relational community with other Christians, you are outside of the will of God. That's a hard truth, but, but you need to hear a pastor say it, because man, we've too long just applauded, man, you've got great theology, man, you prayed for two hours, and those same people walking out the doors and dishonoring God by the way that they treat people. Jesus said, my followers aren't going to be like that. That, that, that should not be what's true of my followers. I might even say it like this, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am nothing. That was the Apostle Paul. That is the inspired word of God in 1 Corinthians 13. 1. All right, here's the last one. You need to be in relational community because heaven is an experience of ongoing relational community. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I had a jacked up view of heaven. Anybody relate with that? Let me just see your hands. Be honest. We got really bad theology when we were kids, man. Like, it was like, okay, so what happens when I die? And it was like, well, you get to go live on a cloud and play a harp for Jesus. And you're like, okay? And they're like, no, 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 but, but it gets better. 
that's forever. And you're like, what? Like, that doesn't sound good at all. Like, that's terrifying. That doesn't sound, I mean, and then they're like, well, but the alternative is this. And you're like, okay, I'll choose heaven, right? It's a little better. And, and I had this distorted view of heaven and, and I just didn't get it. Let me read for you what John saw in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Let me, let me share with you his view of heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You've probably heard the idea about no more death, and no more pain, and no more crying. But you know what word I'm drawn to in those verses? It shows up at least three times in just verses three and four. It's just a little word, just a pronoun. It's the word with. That's not a pronoun. That's a preposition. My English teacher's going to on me for that. With. God says, now I'm going to be with you. As was intended from day one, I will be with you and be your God. But here's the beauty of it. When John says a bride adorned for her, uh, her husband, two chapters earlier in Revelation 19, he uses this phrase, marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, when we get to heaven, it's going to be like a, a marriage situation. Now, I, I was counseling with a couple recently. They got married, I think it was last weekend. And, and they were young, you know, like 20 to 25-ish. And the girl's like, yeah, I'm so excited, but I'm also really nervous. I'm like, oh, you don't need to be nervous. She's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, I've just never been to a wedding. And I'm like, wait, what, what did you say? She's like, yeah, I've never been to a wedding. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I go to like 35 weddings a year. Like that's, my wife's a wedding photographer. I'm, I officiate weddings. Like we do weddings. That's kind of our thing. And I'm like, you've been to a wedding, right? Like asking the, the groom. He's like, well, I think I went when I was a young kid. I don't really remember. I'm like, how is this possible? These two adult people have never been to a wedding. I, I got to tell you, my, my wedding, I, I remember it like it was 10 years ago. Uh, just kidding. It was 10 years ago. I remember it like it was, I, I just, and, and the thing that I remember, you know what I remember? I remember the way that my wife looked. I remember the dress. I remember her eyes. I remember looking in her face and making those vows. I also remember going to the reception. And man, that was fun. We danced, we ate, it was, it was crazy, like my brothers from all over the country and my sisters and friends from college and my best friend from California and, and her parents and her cousins and people that I'd never met and now they're meeting each other and like we're seeing them like dancing together, we're like what in the world is happening? Our worlds are colliding and it did not distract from my love of Nikki. You know what it did? It accentuated it. See, we don't need to divorce these things. We, we don't need to separate honoring God and loving him, and then we go out. and we do. No, these are, these are one and the same. We honor God by relational community, and in relational community, we honor God. And that is what heaven will be forever. That I can get down with. So, so my view of heaven now is a little different than it was as a kid. My view of heaven now is more like what happens on Thanksgiving when all of my siblings from all over the country drive to the Outer Banks, because there's no airports close by, but that's a rant for another time, and we do life together for one week, six nights, seven nights, and we talk late into the night, we get up, and the early risers do coffee together, and a different person cleans the pot and refills it, and 
kids are downstairs playing pool and running around and up and down the stairs and up and down the stairs. And, and at the end of the day, we, we don't say goodbye. We say goodnight, see you in the morning. It's like, oh man, I remember that as a kid. I miss that. Because now there's separation. Now there's that inevitable goodbye at the end of the week. And heaven is going to be an ongoing experience of being able to say to the people we love, all right, I'll see you in the morning. No more separation and no more fear of separation. That is a view of heaven that is biblical and that I believe is what heaven is and what God is calling us to relational community forever. So guys, let's not wait. Let's get into relational community now in preparation for what will be then. So let me say something as I close. You've probably not heard a pastor say this, but I'm going to say it. We talk a lot about small groups, but the truth is you don't have to be in a small group to have relational community, right? Like some of you may have relational community with Christians that, that, that isn't in a small group context, and that's a wonderful thing. But I'll tell you this, my personal experience those two things have been linked for me. When I've had the, the one-off, the friend here that I play basketball with and the guys over here that we go and get wings or whatever and, and then I go to church on Sunday and I do the vertical thing and then I need a place where I can integrate the vertical and the horizontal and all of a sudden I'm in a group which Nikki and I have been in for most of the last three years and all of a sudden we're in relational community but the Bible gets opened and we're looking at the word of God and we're praying for each other we're being honest with each other. We're carrying each other's burdens. And all of a sudden, just like what happened in the first century, the, the, the vertical and the horizontal are getting married in a group context. I've never experienced anything quite like it. And my vision, my big desire that I would have from God is that as, as we strive to be a, a diverse community of good friends together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus, that we start seeing groups forming in all of the cities that we are represented by. Not only Winter Garden, not only Horizon West, but Ocoee and Claremont and Oakland and Groveland and Celebration and Metro West and Gotha and Windermere and all. And not just in all those cities, but now all those cities have neighborhoods and now we're in Summerport and Cypress Reserve and Marblehead and on and on and on. And, and all of a sudden, the, the move of God is exploding outside the walls of this church. And we're getting to see a move of God like they saw in the first century. I believe that it was exactly that kind of movement. Groups in homes leading people to Jesus and discipling them. Among first century Christians, that is what made their gospel undeniable and their movement unstoppable. And we could see it again. And I believe we will see something like it again as we press into what God has for us. So here's how I want to close. You heard Carmen talk about it. We've got a, a group's launch party on February the 13th. Um, this is going to be kind of a Super Bowl style deal. I said, hey, no tablecloths, not coffee and dessert. Like, we're just going like, to get into life together, chips and dip style. You can even double dip. I don't care. Don't tell anybody you did it. I live with a three-year-old. We just want you to come. We just want you to come. And if you'll come, if you'll take that step, it's a little easier than showing up at somebody's house for the first time and going, hey, I'm Rick. I'm in your group, right? Like, it's a little easier for the leaders. It's a lot easier for the attenders. And you just get to go and, and we'll go. We might say, hey, we think this, uh, this group over here might be a good fit for you. Why don't you go and, and we'll do some mixer games, get to know them a little bit. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you leave and go, ah, those people are crazy. I don't want to do that. That's okay. But, but you come. And if you'll come and if you've got child care needs, we're going to give you cash to pay your babysitter. You'll get it on the spot. Just leave and go, hey, here's my money to go pay my babysitter. We want to remove any obstacles. Free event. 
Everything is, is set up for you to have a great time and to enter into life in community through a small group. February 13th, 6.30 to 8. It's going to be in downtown Winter Garden. And if you're not in a group, I want to encourage you at our connections table. We've got some folks. I think they're still here, guys and girls in green shirts uh, toward the back and others on our team that can help you get registered for that event. And we want to see a lot of people there on February 13th, Thursday night. So we encourage you to do that. If your next step, and it could be both and, it might be either or, but if your next step may be baptism, or you think, I'm not sure if I should or shouldn't, but I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you go, yeah, I just don't know the timeline and the sequence, and I, I have these conversations weekly, and I'd love to talk to you about that. If your next step may be baptism, I want to talk to you about that before the 16th. So I'll be right down here. You can find me. Otherwise, head to the back. Let me pray, and then we're going to dismiss you. Father, we've said a lot of th- I've said a lot of words today, God. I've taken a lot of time because, God, I think this is so important, and I'm so excited about it. God, you're on the move, and we don't want to miss it. And God, I pray that you would just put in the hearts of those who are not yet really engaged in relational community. God, that it's just so necessary that we are. And maybe we can go a couple days, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, but God, inevitably, we're going to come against something in our life, and we're going to need people at our side helping us carry that burden. Friends, relational community. God, I pray that you would just put it in the hearts of those who are in that category. God, that they would just get registered for that party tonight, or or rather this morning. And God, I pray for those who are wrestling with baptism. God, we know it's such an important thing as a next step for Christians to, to, to publicly demonstrate their faith, their love for you through baptism. So put it in the hearts of some to come. And God, we thank you for being on the move. We want to keep up with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, you're dismissed. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.